Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 12. We will read verses 20 through 33. Before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for inviting us in to your house. Uh, not only uh, this room as we gather as your people, but ultimately inviting us into your throne of grace through Christ, where we are even now seated at his right hand as we are united to him by the Spirit. And we can't fathom that or understand that, but we can thank you for it and worship you because of it and long for the day when faith will be sight. And when not only will we be with you spiritually, but we will be with you physically and we will see you face to face. We long for that day. Father, we thank you uh, that you have given us your word. We do pray that you would speak to us through it even now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John 12, we'll begin uh, with verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Well, there are moments in life, little moments, which often go unnoticed, which seem insignificant. Uh, Perhaps only in retrospect do you realize how momentous it really was. And this is one of those moments in John's gospel. A few Greeks come to Jesus in verse 20. It seems hardly important, but Jesus sees something the rest of us don't. And he begins to spell it out. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This text, this chapter is a a turning point in John's gospel. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I hope you will uh, bear with me this morning. Jesus uh, calls his disciples to follow him in verses 25 and 26, and we will get there. But this text is not really about our following, but Jesus leading. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I want us to attend to this for a while. What, is it, what does it mean to be glorified? Why is it so important? 
This is one of those moments when uh, we are looking for some, maybe some practical bit of advice when we want how-tos or gospel comfort, but John wants us to simply sit back and gaze. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I want us to be curious about this this morning, not, not for self-interest, not for some payoff, just curious. And the, 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 so first, what we will do is we'll talk about the time of Jesus' glorification, the method of Jesus' glorification, the purpose of Jesus' glorification, the fruit and the pattern of Jesus' glorification. And then when we get to the pattern, we'll begin to talk about what does it look like for us to follow Jesus. And uh, yes, if it looks like I had two outlines and I just wanted to fit them both into the sermon, that's kind of true. Uh, but, um, but it'll work, I hope. Um, we need to start by asking, though, what does it even mean for uh, to be glorified? What does that mean? The dictionary says to be glorified is to honor with praise or, or admiration or worship. Uh, the Greek word refers to uh, someone's opinion or reputation or splendor. Uh, throughout the scriptures, glory is primarily God's glory, his greatness, his power, his deity, his, his splendor. The hour had come for Jesus to be glorified. What does that mean? To be glorified is to be lifted up, exalted, known, admired, and praised. And this is what Jesus' hearers would have heard. The time has come for the Son of Man to be exalted. They may have heard a, a hint of Jesus' deity here, right? God is glorious. What does it mean for the Son of Man to be glorified? To be shown to be glorious? Uh, to be shown to be divine? Will Jesus now be made known in all of his glory? How will that happen? Well, let's look at our first point then. First, the time of Jesus' glorification. Uh, verse 23 says, the hour has come. And it has been long coming. Repeatedly in John, Jesus has said this, his hour had not yet come. Uh, his time had not yet come. But now it has. Something has changed. Somehow the coming of the Gentiles meant that time was right for Jesus to die and rise. For the gospel to go out to the Gentiles. But this, the hour has come, is bigger than just, oh, you know, it, it's 12 o'clock, it's time for lunch. Galatians 4.4, Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. This is the hour the world has been waiting for, whether we knew it or not. This is the moment where history holds its breath to see what will happen. The hour has come. And that's the time of Jesus' glorification, the hour that has come. What, what's the method? When we think glory, we think accolades. In the Olympics, we literally put the winners on a pedestal. We literally lift them up so all can see and all can admire and all can praise. Well, what will be the method of the Son of Man being glorified? Well, look at verse 24. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, Jesus' method of being exalted is falling into the earth and dying. The seed must be planted in order to grow. The, Jesus says he is like a seed and he must die in order to bear fruit. Jesus knows this is his path to glory and it's troubling to him. In verse 27, now is my soul troubled. Jesus is not stoic as he looks to the cross. He is troubled. 
He picks up on the method again in verses 32 to 33. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This is not the first time Jesus has used this language of lifted up. He used it in John 3, 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Or again, in John 8, 28, Jesus says, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And this language of lifting up could just mean exalted, right? We use the language in that way. Scripture uses it in that way. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Or Isaiah 57, 15, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. So uh, lifted up could simply mean exalted, but that's not quite what Jesus means here. Uh, John says Jesus said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus would be lifted up on the cross. Jesus is going to fulfill the servant song of Isaiah 53. You you maybe know the one in Isaiah uh, 53 where he says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Christ would be pierced and crushed and bring peace. But that servant song begins, ironically, maybe, or prophetically, Isaiah 52, 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. It's true to say that Jesus' path to glory is through suffering, that in order to be lifted up, he must first go low, but that's not exactly what John is saying. For John, Jesus going low and being lifted up, his humiliation and exaltation, his suffering and his glory meet at the cross. Here, Jesus is lifted up and glorified in his moment of greatest shame, When he is mocked and derided and naked on a tree, that is his moment of greatest glory. The method of Jesus' exaltation will be to be lifted up on the cross. For him, first and foremost, his suffering is his glory because that is where we see his triumph. And so the time is now, the hour has come. The method is suffering, being lifted up on the cross. What about the purpose of Jesus' glorification? Again, look at verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus came for this purpose purpose of suffering and dying on the cross and that that purpose is troubling him but there was a greater purpose behind even that father glorify your name now we might want to say that the greater purpose was Jesus love for us right this passage will talk about the fruit of Jesus being lifted up and we'll come to that in a moment but the great purpose of Jesus work was this father glorify your name It's not for nothing that the the writers of the Westminster Shorter Catechism taught that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Even here we see that Jesus' chief end, the chief end of his life and the chief end of his death, 
was to glorify his father. The son would be glorified, exalted, lifted up, so that the father would be glorified in him. In fact, in John 13, 31, Jesus will say, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. Jesus' ultimate aim was to glorify his father. That's why he was willing to go to the cross. That's why he was willing to suffer and die because his father is worth it. Jesus longed to see his father glorified in his life and in his death. And so the time is now, the hour has come, the method is suffering. Jesus will be lifted up on the cross and the purpose of his glorification is the glory of his father which brings us to the fruit verse 24 says unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit well what is that fruit well note just two things here first verse 31 Jesus says now is the judgment of this world now will the ruler of this world be cast out it's interesting, this is the only, uh, quote, exorcism in John's gospel. Uh, you may know, if you've read the other gospels, we regularly see Jesus cast out demons. John doesn't mention those, but he does mention the reality to which all of them point. The cross will exorcise the devil. The ruler of this world is the devil, which is not to say that God does not rule heaven and earth, but uh, Paul calls Satan the god of this world and the prince of the power of the air. See, those who throw off the rule of God are under the rule of another. To reject God's law does not make us a law unto ourselves. There is no actual autonomy. Autonomy is a myth. Everybody serves someone. To reject the service of God makes you a slave of Satan and sin. But the cross casts out Satan. It's hard to know if Jesus means something general or something more specific. Uh, does the cross uh, kind of simply mean Satan's overthrow? Is that what Jesus is saying? Or is he referring to the same thing we find in Revelation chapter 12 when Satan is cast out of heaven itself? Either way, the, the end point is the same. Uh, through his death on the cross, Jesus crushes the authority of Satan. The writer of Hebrews put it this way. He says, by his death, Jesus destroys the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and delivers all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, by his death, Jesus breaks the power of Satan, his stranglehold on disobedient and fearful people, his stranglehold on the nations. Which brings us then immediately to the second fruit of Jesus' glorification in verse 32. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. See, by the cross, Jesus breaks the stranglehold of Satan on the world, which means now the nations can come to him. Think about this in context for a moment. In John 11, 49 to 52, Caiaphas, the high priest, says of Jesus, it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should die. And John tells us he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And then in John 12, 19, the Pharisees who are frustrated with Jesus' popularity and they grumble to one another saying, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And immediately we are told in verse 20 that some Greeks were there and they wanted to see Jesus. This is the moment when Jesus knows his time has come. Why? Because by his death, his death would not only be for the nation of Israel, but for all nations. Now that, that the Greeks are coming, it is time for him to complete his work, 
to defeat the devil at the cross, to free the nations, to draw all people, Jew and Greek, to himself. And, and notice maybe the irony here, by the way, the devil was active in Jesus' death, by his own, uh, but his own activity undermines his hold on the world. John 13, 2, we're told, uh, we will be told that the devil put into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. And in John 13, 27, we will be told that Satan entered into Judas to that end. The devil was the, the instigator of Jesus' betrayal. But it was that very betrayal that led to the cross and so led to Satan's downfall. See, for Satan too, it is true, as we will see in a moment, it is true for us, that if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. The time is now, the hour had come, the, the method was suffering, being lifted up on the cross. The purpose is the glory of the Father and the fruit of Jesus' glorification is the overthrow of Satan and the nations coming to Christ. Not every single person, as is obvious, but all kinds of people, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, which brings us to the pattern, the pattern of Jesus' glorification. And really, it brings us to kind of part two of our message this morning, because we've looked at what it means for the Son of Man to be glorified. What does it mean for us to follow him in that? The truth of the matter is, I seek glory, and so do you. I think it's honest to say it may not be obvious on the surface of things, but if you've got a beating heart and breath in your lungs, you seek glory, as well you should. People seek all kinds of glory. Some seek fame and fortune. Others just want to be known, accepted, and loved. Uh, we want to leave a legacy. Uh, we want to be remembered when we're gone. We want the approval of our parents, the approbation of our friends. We want to know that our lives mean something, uh, that, that what we do is worth it. We want glory as well you should. Some of us struggle on the other side because our lives are full of shame and insecurity and loneliness. We don't feel loved or accepted or known. We feel despised, rejected, and unseen, and we long for glory, as well you should. But I want us to think now for a moment about this pursuit of glory using verses 25 and 26 as a lens. We'll kind of look at the text again and see these five things that we should follow the pattern of Christ and pursue glory from God through suffering in light of Satan's defeat. So first follow the pattern of Christ. Every day we see people striving, often striving after the wrong things in the wrong way. Striving after money, uh, even if they have to lie and cheat and steal to get it. Striving after a calm, quiet family by anger, yelling, and abuse. Striving after a reputation by seeking to prove that they are better than the competition, smarter, faster, stronger, better looking, etc. Wrong things, wrong ways. The world gives us success stories, heroes, models, and examples. But as often as not, they are examples of the wrong things in the wrong way. Jesus is not merely a pattern, of course. In this moment, in John, he's turning toward the cross. Now his time is at hand. The hour has come. It's time to suffer and die before rising from the dead. This is the moment for which Jesus came, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. John wants us to believe in this Jesus, to believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, so that by believing we would have life in his name. No, Jesus is not merely a pattern. He does what we cannot do. He defeats Satan and saves from sin. But Jesus is a pattern. 
You'll notice in verse 24, Jesus talks about himself as a grain of wheat falling into the ground and bearing fruit. But then Jesus says this in verses 25 and 26. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. See, Jesus announces his impending death as a grain of wheat, and he immediately calls his own to do as he does. This is the same thing Jesus does elsewhere in the other Gospels. In, in Matthew 16, 21, for example, Jesus, it tells us from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then he says in verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And this is apparently a part of Jesus' regular teaching to his disciples. He talks about his own self-sacrificing work on the one hand, and then he exhorts his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. Now, we need to state the obvious here. Jesus is not saying that we can redeem even ourselves, much less anyone else from sin, by our giving our lives. Only that as Jesus redeemed people, our life is to take on the shape, the pattern of the life of Jesus. And this pattern particularly relates to the way we understand glory. So follow the pattern of Christ, but how do we do that? Well, one, we pursue glory. Uh, we will come to, to ways in which we twist this in a moment, but for now, think about, think about the Christian caricature. Uh, there's a Christian caricature out there that we should never pursue glory of any kind. Uh, we should be insignificant and unknown. Uh, we are worms and less than dust. We should, every chance we get, we should kind of shrink into the background. We take up the mantra of John the Baptist, I must decrease, he must increase, and of course that's true. But is that all there is to say about glory? Jesus elsewhere says we are of value to our Father. How does that strike your heart? The Father values you. You are a valuable person to the God of heaven and earth. Jesus tells a story about people who serve a master, God, and on the day of the master's return, to some he will say in Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's glory. Being honored with praise and admiration by God himself. That's what brings us then immediately to our next Point, follow the pattern of Christ, pursue glory from God. Verse 26, Jesus says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him? I mean, we should be honoring the Father. What does Jesus mean by the Father will honor him? Again, I think the best way to grasp this is by considering, again, uh, Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus says the problem with people is not that they pursue glory, but that they pursue glory from the wrong person. In John 5, he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? In John 12, 43, later in this chapter, John tells us people loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. 
from one perspective, this is our fundamental problem. We pursue the glory that comes from man, not the glory that comes from God. The problem is not that we pursue glory, but that we pursue it from the wrong place. We are concerned about the opinions of men and not the opinion of God. Pursue glory. By all means, pursue glory, the glory that comes from the God of heaven and earth. Now, there are other benefits Jesus mentions to serving him. Verse 25, Jesus mentions keeping your life for eternal life. Verse 26, Jesus mentions those who follow him will be where he is. But the capstone is the Father will honor him. It does no good to have life forever if the Father does not honor you. It does no good to be where Jesus is in the presence of the Father if the Father does not honor you. This should be your heart's desire to glorify God, yes, and to receive glory from him that the Father would honor you to seek the glory that comes from the only God, to long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So follow the pattern of Christ, pursue glory from God through suffering. People pursue glory by showing how great they are, right? Look, look at my strength, look at my beauty, look at my intellect, look at my humor, look at my wealth. We want to, to be great and do great, to win great applause. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. He says in verse 25, whoever loves his life will lose it. And love is a, a verb, it's, it's an, an action. Jesus doesn't mean if you feel good about your life. He means if you do all you can to hold on to it. If your desire, your goal, your aim is to hold on to this life with both hands... Your life, your agenda, your desires, your plans, your purposes, if that's your goal, to hold on to those things, you will lose it one way or another, sooner or later. But if you hate your life, now again, Jesus doesn't mean despise with passion, but hate by hate, he means the opposite of love. He means not hold on to, to let go of, to hold loosely. If you do not consider your life in this world your most prized possession, then you will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, Jesus says, he must follow me. To follow Jesus is to do as he did. To follow Jesus is to head toward the cross. To follow Jesus is to live a cross-shaped life. To follow Jesus is to serve others in costly ways. To follow Jesus is to die to self, to give life to others. To follow Jesus is to live not not a life of self-indulgence, but a life of self-sacrifice. Jesus put it elsewhere, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. The cross is a symbol of sacrifice, which involves suffering. But this is the path to glory. Jesus was lifted up on the cross and then lifted up again in his resurrection. Sacrificial service is the path to glory. Dying to self is the path to life. If anyone would be great among you, Jesus said, he must be your servant. If anyone would be first, he must be slave of all. That's the path to glory. The path to glory is quiet, overlooked, unseen, forgotten, painful, and sometimes sad. But through the cross comes the crown. Follow the pattern of Christ. Pursue glory from God through sacrificial service of God and neighbor in light of Satan's defeat. We cannot earn glory. Don't misunderstand what I've been saying. We, We never deserve God's well done, not in and of ourselves, but the ruler of this world has been cast out. Satan has been defeated. The serpent's head has been crushed. Christ has won the victory. That is our hope. 
that in him and through his victory, we might be well-pleasing to our Father. We will only ever hear God's well-done, good, and faithful servant because Christ was first the good and faithful servant. We were bad and betraying, disobedient and disloyal, unholy and untrue. We deserve God's condemnation, not his approbation. But Christ came to do the Father's will, to lay down his life by being lifted up on the cross so that you and I might be honored by the Father. Now go, take up your cross and follow him. Let's pray. Father, help us to see Jesus in all of his glory, in the cross and in the resurrection. And help us then to take up our cross and follow him by the power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.